Hey, podcast world. It is podcast Tuesday. It is Tuesday. It is Tuesday. Or is it Wednesday? No, it's Tuesday. It's yeah. Tuesday. It's Tuesday all day today. All day. 24 hours yeah. in a day. And um, this is an exciting week because it is the week before Christmas. Yeah. I am in Waco this week. You must be tired. You actually flew in today. I actually flew in, got here just in time to do the podcast that we're about to uh, do on this show. You're probably tired. Your arm's tired. That is like the worst <laughs> joke. I've been thinking about it for about for about five minutes. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, um, Lee Boyd is not known for his ability in stand-up. No, I'm not. FYI, full disclosure. I'm not a stand-up guy. You're not. You are a stand-up guy. Oh, well, thank but you. You're not a guy that does stand-up. No, it is a treat to have you here, though. To it's to actually see you, uh, smell you. You're, you're, you're here. Smell me, huh? Well. Okay. Well, I'm just <laughs> going to move on from that one. I'm here because of the big 470 holiday party tomorrow. Yeah. Which I must say, in the past few years, has become quite an event here in Waco, Texas. It's a big deal. The real question is, you know, so we do a big potluck. Everybody brings something. Mm-hmm. And uh, what did you bring? Well, you'll just have to show up tomorrow and find out, won't you, Lee? Oh, I guess it's so. A it's a secret. It's a secret. You know what? You know what? You know what our, our producer Al's bringing? What's that? Water. He signed up for water. Somebody has to bring the water. Someone has to carry the water. Yeah. Al's been carrying our water for months now. Months and months and months. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm looking forward to uh, to uh, Al's water. Speaking of water, I'm on a water fast today. What do you think about that? That sounds dumb. <laughs> I don't, that's not a thing, is it? I know, it's dumb right now because I'm hungry. I mean, I understand a food fast, but a, a water? You can't I've never have re- a food fast. I've never read something that you says- have a food fast. Why can't you have a- Break a fast with food. Oh, you break a fast, fast with food. means no food. Oh, so it's, okay, but- Well, listen, ladies and gentlemen, we're not gonna, <laughs> we're not gonna make you listen to Lee learning what a fast is. Um, but we are going to tell you about Kate Terry, who is our guest today, who is the COO and co-founder of Surround Insurance. Yeah, Surround is going to be launching a product uh, this coming April. Uh, really going to enjoy talking to her about what they're doing. It's a very niche product, and it, it fills a, a big need that you might not even know was there. That when you hear about it, and we'll wait until the, the, the actual yeah. episode in a second, to tell you what it is, but their market and who they're after is an, an enormous demographic mm-hmm. that really has a particular problem that they have a solution to. And I have to say, I think it's really smart and really attractive. And I, I, I expect it to be successful, but they are a straight up insure tech um, that was founded by insurance people. Yeah, and I think that they're on a on a great track to success, and I'm excited to uh, to hear from her today. Yeah. So, without further ado, uh, we'll we'll go to the episode instead of me explain, or maybe first we'll we'll pause and I'll tell you what fasting is. But uh, I mean, I know what fasting is, but no, no, a water no, fast no, just sounds stupid. No, you can't have a food fast either. So, um, <laughs> anyways, folks, without further ado, here's our episode with Kate Terry, COO of Surround Insurance. Hey, everybody. We're here with our guest today, who's 
uh, coming from, a, I think, probably some place where it's snowing, just so that you know. Kate Terry, the COO of Surround Insurance. How are you doing, Kate? I'm doing great. I'm happy to be here with you. Great. Where is it that you are today anyways? Yes, I am in chilly Boston, Massachusetts, where we've had yet another snowy day already, and it's only December. Wow. Is that a lot for you guys? Is that a, a, a unusual? Yes, it, it is. We don't usually see snow until January and February. So I don't know. The kids are probably going to be in school until August at this rate. <laughs> so, but White Christmas. It's what usually happens is it'll rain and turn into an ugly, muddy day on the 24th. You know, that's that's kind of New England weather, right? Right. So so you're you're with us today from Surround Insurance. Yes. Give us give us a minute or two on what Surround Insurance is and um, and what you do there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my co-founder, Jay Grayson, and I um, are building modern insurance for people who live in the modern economy. Um, so what I mean by that is, is this. So property and casualty insurance used to be a coming-of-age product, right? You'd graduate from college, you'd buy a car, you'd get car insurance. And that actually meant that you weren't only covered driving your own car, but also when you barred your roommate's car, if you were riding a bike and got hit by a car, you are a pedestrian, etc. But, you know, the economy has changed, right? And people are delaying or opting out of buying the assets that insurance used to come with. Um, Sometimes altogether, right? They're living into their 40s in, in the urban cores, and they don't have any of this coverage. And um, Jay and I are, are both former executives from a, a big uh, Fortune 100 mutual, um, and we saw that um, that these modern customers really don't have any product options. So what we're doing is we're building the products for them. Our starter pack of insurance is our first product. It launches on April 1st. Um, it covers you if you don't own the assets, but you drive. It covers your driving, covers your exposure when you're renting an apartment, and also covers um, some of your freelancing exposure if you if you have a side gig, like more than half of people in our target market do. Yeah. Does it cover you if you're riding along in an Uber? It does if you're riding, not if you're driving, right? We're not doing commercial insurance yet of that type. Um, but yes, if you're riding in an Uber um, and the driver's insufficiently insured, it absolutely does. Um, covers you if you're on a blue bike in the city and you get hit or you hit somebody. Um, you know, all those exposures that are sort of uh, the normal ways that people get around today, but, but didn't exist when insurance products were, were first dreamed up. So we hear a lot about uh, insurance for millennials and how millennials are going to affect um, the industry. But you guys have just, you, you, this is no goofing around. This is insurance for that target market. Is that correct? Yes, yeah, straight up insurance for that target market, but structured a little bit differently from how maybe some of the other insurtechs have hit the market. I think this comes to the fact that both of us have you know, 15 years of insurance expertise. My background is actually in insurance product management. Um, so, yeah, we're, <laughs> you won't find two people who are more enthusiastic about insurance. Um, but the way we're approaching this market is a little bit different from kind of word on the street. Word on the street is that you should go direct to consumer and you should make insurance episodic for this market, right? And, you know, we did hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of interviews with people in our target market. And we heard a few things that didn't really line up there. Um, one of them was that this idea that millennials want to do everything digitally really isn't true. 
what is true is that they want to do as much as they can digitally. But when they have a question, especially about a complex product, they want somebody to call and they want someone to pick up the phone and have an answer and also have a little bit of warmth and concern for them as well. Right. It's an exaggeration to say. Yeah. Yeah. It's an exaggeration. Right. Um, And you look and you say, well, insurance is actually an incredibly complex product. Right. And who is well positioned to sell insurance to this market and we thought about it it turns out that it's independent insurance agents right who, who still make up half of the property and casualty market it's a 350 billion dollar channel and insurance agents have an issue too which is that they used to sell these products at those moments when somebody you know bought a car for the first time right yeah yeah and so what that means is that you know they they may they may have they often have the parents of young professionals as clients in their agency but that intergenerational kind of transfer of the relationship wasn't really taking place because the products weren't there to support it so where that leaves independent agents is you know they would normally have sold to the young adults at 20 sometime between 22 and 26 right when when they bought their first vehicle but now that vehicle purchase might be delayed until that person's 35. And then the independent agent has to try to win that customer back from the likes of, you know, Geico, who spent over a billion dollars on advertising last year, um, you know, progressive and, and all the rest. Um, so this starter pack that we've created is, is ideally positioned for that moment when the adult, when the parent of adult children calls into the, their independent agent and says, hey, I need to take my kid off, the pol- off of our home auto insurance policy. Um, here she's moved right. to the city and then the agent can say, well, you know, <laughs> that's great. Congratulations. But when junior borrows his roommate's car and drives to Ikea and gets in an accident on the way back and his doofus roommate didn't pay the car insurance bill, guess who they're coming after? Your kid. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In that moment. Right. right? Um, and then renter's insurance really isn't enough. So we've, we've tied a bunch of old school insurance products together in a new way to provide a single product to consumers that, that can be sold easily in that moment. Well, you're a longtime industry person. Yeah. So one of the interesting things that Lee and I run into in, uh, in our interviews is many, 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 many people aren't insurance people. Yes. And I, I don't mean that in a negative way. They're just, they, that's not what they're yeah. yeah. That's not where their background has been. It's been in uh, technology most uh, most commonly. So tell us a little bit about your insurance background and how you kind of went from there to where you are today. Did you have a moment? Was there an epiphany? How do you get from being a, a big shot at Liberty, a senior vice president of commercial, I believe, to, to, to surround? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'd like to tell you a story about this very intentional path I took, but it actually was an accident. Um, so we called Jay, my, my co-founder, the intentional entrepreneur, and I'm the accidental entrepreneur. But if I look back, the roots were there. So, yeah, so I told you I have 15 years of product management experience. And in that last role at Liberty, I was there in, in the SVP capacity for six years. I had the commercial responsibility for the commercial auto business for the first part of that time. And then I had a group called Product Operations, which was several hundred people who did a lot of different things, right? But everything from preparing forms and sometimes typing things on forms in Wausau, Wisconsin, so commercial insurance forms that say had never been programmed in some cases. Right. Um, PhD statisticians who we were trying to hire away from Google um, who were building all of the predictive models for Liberty's commercial lines. So a very wide range of skills. And some days I'd sit there and I'd think, 
gosh, these PhDs are so brilliant and they're using, you know, the, the rudiments of machine learning, which was sort of new three or four years ago um, to insurance when we started looking at this. But the only things we're ever going to work on are improving the existing business we have by just a tiny bit incrementally because nothing else makes sense in the context of a giant mutual, right? Right, right. And I'm like, you know, I think the folks in Wausau actually might be doing more for our customers on a day-to-day basis because they're actually responding to an actual customer need. And I'm not saying that the data and analytics aren't important. They're crucial. But I think you can also go down a path where you get blinded by what's cool and new in the industry and sort of miss what's new among the emerging consumer base, right? So I just felt like we had these very rigid products that had sort of... um, that they were just unchangeable and not responsive sure. to new consumers. Sure. So I left on very good terms um, and did two things, went back to school for a bit and also started a consulting firm doing um, doing basically product consulting for carriers and also um, for uh, investors who are interested in investing in the insure tech space. So I was talking a lot about product innovation, how to change the, the product. And a former colleague called me up and said, you must know this guy, Jay Grayson. He was a former peer of ours. And I didn't mm-hmm. say something about how big the executive ranks are at large insurance companies, which may or may not be part of this problem, right? Right, um, yeah. Yeah, and I did a little bit of consulting for him. He had this great idea for Surround, which is kind of as I described it before, um, but he had a corporate finance and customer experience background. Um, and about two months in, he said to me, have you ever thought of co-founding an InsurTech? And I said, no. And he said, no, that's <laughs> you like to you didn't need to think about InsurTech. I mean, Surround. And I said, no. And he said, why not? And I said, well, I'm actually really concerned that the regulators aren't going to like our approach. Um and so he said, well, how, how would we get over that? And I was like, well, we should go visit some regulators. And so that's right. what we did. And we drove across the Midwest and visited a number of different regulators. And I said to my road trip, yeah, road trip, yeah, road trip, road trip. So I said to my husband, well, because Jay and I also scarcely knew each other, which was my other concern, right? That whole, like, probably shouldn't start a business with somebody you met a few weeks ago. Um, yeah. So I said to my husband before I left, either I'm going to come back and I'm going to tell you that I want to co-found an insure tech company, or I'm going to be calling you from the side of the road in Peoria because Uber's not there yet. One of the two. I don't know. Um, But it actually turned out to be great. You know, we actually got a lot of support from the regulators because they sort of said, we see this hole in the market too. And we get people who come in here from the tech side who sort of say, hey, I launched something in the market and I'd like you to waive the rules. And you guys have figured out a way to work within the existing infrastructure to present a completely new suite of products that we really see as as needed for this population. so they really liked it. So they were excited yeah. by you guys. Like not, actually not, excited. Not yeah. Like co-founders. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. And it also turns out that a road trip through the cornfields of the Midwest is an excellent way to figure out whether you and your co-founder can get along. Turns out that you can drive and talk about insurance for 18 hours a day and then like wake up and do it again the next day. Impossible. <laughs> not possible. <laughs> so it, it, is. So. it is. With great enthusiasm, no less. Did you did you kind of look at this as a product challenge? Yeah, and Jay might say something a little bit different because obviously our our viewpoint comes from what our background is. But you know, if you look at um, insurtechs that have have really grown and got into the market a little bit earlier, like Jetty and Lemonade and maybe Clearcover. Um, 
a lot of those are companies that are focused on more beautiful distribution. Some of them will argue they've got some product tweaks, and I would agree with that. But by and large, it's about taking an old product and a monoline product and selling it in a beautiful way, which five years ago, if you were in the InsureTech 1.0 wave, that was exactly what needed to be done. And it's something that's accessible to tech people who know how to sell things beautifully online, right? But that moment has gone. Um, there's plenty of competition in that space. And what hasn't really been innovated at all is the insurance mm -hmm. product, right? And so there's all this blue sky, um, but it's really hard to do, right? You need a lot of know-how and you need a lot of lead time and a fair amount of investment. And the investment probably has to come from people who know insurance, right? Um, and so, yeah, so we're, we're kind of in this wide open field that we, we think of as InsureTech 2.0, but it really is a product-focused set of changes. When you consider the size of the cohort that you're selling into, the demographic yeah. size, it's an enormous market, right? Tens of millions of potential customers. Right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we think that the first configuration of our product, which, you know, it's the MVP, it's it's the, the Model T, um, appeals to a $10 billion slice of that market that nobody, nobody is serving well today. Well, so tell us exactly what it is, right? So yeah. is it a, a flat rate um, per month to cover you for all of these different uh, incidences? Is that what it is? Yes, it is. Um, so it's priced more like a group product than like an individual product. So the sophistication that we see in, in auto rating, which I am incredibly familiar with given my background, is it's a competitive dynamic, right? Um, you've got a completely um, commoditized product and the only way to compete other than really cool advertising or customer experience is really on price. So that's why the so right. sophisticated. But at least initially, we're stepping into kind of a void, right? Piecing together some pieces of um, driving coverage, some pieces of renters coverage, and some pieces of, of miscellaneous professional liability. And there is no straight up competition. So we're entering yeah. with a flat price, which also makes it really easy to sell both for the independent agents and for employee benefits brokers, which is another group that's interested. One of the videos I was watching of you, you were talking about how, how you're able to change, I guess, after time, you would be able to upgrade to uh, for, for the policy to follow a person to a purchase of a new home, for example, without actually having to, to cancel their policy. You could just change it because, it, you know, yeah. your example is a lot of times 85% of the wording yeah. is, is the yeah. same. Yeah, it's it's true. Um, and now, you know, you're going to get lots of calls from people saying it's not exactly the same, but, you know, depending on the yeah right. makes. we make shop we create shopping moments in this industry moving from renters to condo really all you need to do is add the coverage for you know the inside of the unit right moving from condo to homeowners really all you're doing is adding the coverage for the home itself and the thing is the the losses that are inherent to that condo or that home, that's all information you can get from third parties these days, right? You don't need to ask people 27 questions about, you know, the, the type of flooring in their basement. Uh, piece of this is making those easy. But the other piece of it is a realization that in a world with fewer assets, where the loss and the, the, the source of claims is inherent in people's behavior, right? And so one of the things that we're starting from the very beginning is to collect and use second party data with, with our customers' permission. So, um, you know, information from the open APIs of sharing economy websites um, to provide 
better coverage, to underwrite more carefully, uh, to provide enhanced products and extra extra pieces of products and coverage. And that's just a whole world of data that other industries are using, and it can be used both for our benefit and our customers' benefit. So we're really, we're really excited about that data play. We, we think of it like human telematics. What about IoT devices in this world? Do they have a place in this scenario yet? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think yes, and we've got some ideas around it, but it's a little bit further out from uh, for us, probably than some of the the straight up sharing economy usage data, right? Which is our apps and the API. Well, that, that's what I was trying to think. I was trying to think how would you, you know, if if you don't own a car but yet you're going to do a ride sharing, I guess you could use apps on your phone, perhaps, but it wouldn't be a plugged in device because you don't own it. Right. Uh, and then maybe a, a telematics or a, a IoT device within the home. Yeah. Uh, rental, something like that. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Yeah, you don't even necessarily need some of that, though, to expand right. the product world today, right? So a lot of these sharing economy services, you know, Uber and Lyft and Airbnb, et cetera, they have open APIs. So as an insurer, with the consumer's permission, if they do an OAuth login, we can actually get their usage data. So we know what they're doing. Uh, like, so with Blue Bikes, we might know when they undock a bike and where it is and where they're redocking it. And that can allow us to do it kinds of things like modeling to help them avoid the most dangerous intersections over time um, to help us understand if they ride a lot during the day at night to help us understand exposure in terms of miles right yeah that is telematics without needing the device not that there's not a place for iot there certainly is but you don't even need it today necessarily no like my son who lives in a city who doesn't own a car anymore right yeah and and only only uh, pretty much only moves around with an uber yeah right right so that that would help you tailor his policy, I assume. Yeah, it would. I mean, you, you can even go and download your own Uber data. We were actually just looking at our own the other day, and it's, um, you know, it's a little bit terrifying in the sense of you need to make sure that you protect your own and other people's privacy <laughs> and the privacy of our consumers, certainly. But when you look at it just as sort of aggregate modeling data, and you look at where things are busy and where they aren't, and and you know the start and stop points, it gives you a lot of information that can help us to tailor a safer world. The exciting thing about you guys is that you're coming. Yes. But if I went, if I wanted to buy surround insurance today, the answer would be? Not yet, but soon. Yes. (laughs) So we're set up as a managing general agency, um, which, which means that we design the products, but we don't hold any of the balance sheet risk. We transfer that to a reinsurer. And we have just recently come to terms with one of the largest reinsurers in the world. Um, can't tell you who at this point, but A-plus rated. We are super excited to work with them. So once you have reinsurance, it's for real, right? So we're finalizing our, uh, our fronting arrangements, and then we'll file the appropriate regulatory filings and get to market probably around April 1st. That's exciting. And so talk about distribution. I mean, you mentioned agents already, but talk about what your plan for distributing your product is. Yeah, no, that's a good, that's a good, uh, a good question. And we actually, the, the funny thing is, is that when we started out on this venture two years ago, we actually thought we would be direct to consumer, but the economics are just terrible. Um, you know, the, at least straight up direct to consumer advertising through Facebook and Google, um, et cetera. So yeah, so independent agents are our first channel. And we have a number of large preferred agencies in Massachusetts under who've signed pre-orders. Um, there are 
Massachusetts is our is our alpha state where we're based here. That's why, and it's also an ex exactly the kind of urban market we're looking at. And then we'll expand uh, with sort of regional insurance agencies through probably the first eight to ten states. We we hope to be in ten states by the end of twelve months of operation. At that point, then we become much more um, interesting to some of the national brokers who we've been talking to that'd like to put us up on platforms. But you need to have kind of a certain state footprint for that to make sense. Sure. So that's the idea channel. Then we're also looking, we're working with a couple of employee benefits brokers. We actually have some, a paid pilot with one of them, um, where you know, there's been an increase in the sale of voluntary supplemental benefits, right? So, so not the health insurance that you would typically buy, but the other offering. So it might be a cancer policy or an accident policy, possibly a travel policy, that sort of thing. Property and casualty has typically been a poor fit mm -hmm. because those are group priced products. So, you know, it's $12 for you and $18 if you add your partner, that sort of thing. Oh, and by the way, if you want homeowners insurance, go talk to those people at that table and they'll ask you 47 questions and get back to you two days later, maybe with a price, right? Like the sale just doesn't fit. Right. But because we're flat priced and because our underwriting is super simple, we only ask three questions and we pull the data we need on the back end. Um, it fits really nicely in that channel. So we've got a paid pilot right now to do some product development. And also among our investors, we've got some folks out of that channel who are pretty excited about what we're doing. I have a question for you about... Um... You know, just the the finer point of how you guys realize yes. that, like you said, you were thinking D to C at first, yep. right? And and which makes sense and is very millennial and very yep. insure techy and all that stuff. Yep. And then, but you ended up at agent, which yep. you don't think about agents and millennials in the same sentence typically. So how how, how did you get how did you get there? Yeah. Yeah. We got there in a couple of different ways. Um, we got there because we were sort of talking to some agents almost by mistake early on. You know, we ran into them at agency conferences and they kept saying, but why don't you come work with us? We have this problem that we don't know what to do when, you know, the young adult ages off of their parents' policy for whatever reason moves out of the home. We can't sell the auto insurance policy like we used to. We thought, okay, well, that's pull, but that's not really a sale, right? And then some of them said, but if you had a product for us, we would even pay you lead generation fees back when we did sell the auto product to them later because we've held them in the channel for us we thought okay that's more interesting yeah and they said, sure. yeah and then and then a number of them said and you know the fact that you have what you have is a fairly low average written premium product which can typically be a, a problem in the ia channel in terms of it being inter uh, less interesting right but it doesn't even matter because it's much higher than renter's insurance it kind of matches the credit on the auto insurance, the home, you know, the parent's auto insurance policy when you take the adult child off. And it's enough with the sim, if you could design a simple slick interface where we didn't have to do a lot of work, there's a lot of value there for us. So it's not even about the premium. And we said, huh, that's interesting, but <laughs> what about millennials? And then as we started interviewing a lot of millennials, what we were hearing a lot about financial arrangements they had with their parents with their parents, right? Um, and when we went, went and dug in on the details, it turned out that, it turns out that almost um, half, half of millennials between the ages of 20 and 40 have their parents paying at least one significant bill every month. So typically health insurance, gym membership, cell phones, rent, et cetera. Um, so half, right? That's on a regular basis. And 75% of millennials reach out to their parents in a financial emergency. So there's this intergenerational financial arrangement that just, just wasn't there a generation ago. And so then we kind of put two and two together and we were like, wait a minute. So 
So the parents of millennials tend to shop with insurance agents, right? We all know that. Insurance agents are saying they have no way to keep their clients' children in the channel. Millennials, when we talk to them, are actually very concerned about risk, they, but they don't know how to fix it. They don't know what to do, and they're willing to rely on their parents, especially the younger cohort of millennials and Gen Z behind them, um, when they're making financial decisions. It's like a perfect storm. <laughs> so it was a little bit of, you know, the pieces became right. evident as we talked to to consumers of various different types um, and, and putting them together. It just it just made all the sense in the world. I would imagine that the agents that you guys are speaking to are probably super excited about this. Yeah, yeah. You know, we've we've got some some real believers among the folks that we've been working with, and they've been really generous with their time in helping us understand, you know, exactly what we could and couldn't do and what kind of interface we needed and how much work was reasonable to expect for an agent, what kinds of limits we needed. Um, it's really been it's really been great working with them. Let's talk for a few minutes about being an insure tech. Yeah. You know, one question that we like to ask people is, do you consider yourself an insurance company or a tech company? And <laughs> Because you guys are insurance people, yep. I'll ask you that question. What, what are you? Yeah, we are definitely insure tech because they get to wear jeans to the office, right? Okay. <laughs> well, that's the that makes the sense. One qualifier. Okay. And at straight up insurance conferences, for the first time in my life, I feel kind of cool showing up in jeans, right? In jeans. Yes. So that. But yeah, that's one of those questions that I, I can't really answer because we're both, right? I've been talking a lot about the insurance, but we've built this technology platform that's pretty amazing that allows us to not only distribute our own products, but also to pull in bits and pieces of other sorts of products that could be our own or could be somebody else's to create a personalized insurance package for each person, right? That's where we're going. Completely personalized insurance for the 100 million people who buy more than um, minimum amounts of insurance in the U.S. That's just just way too big a chunk to bite off and start with, right? What might an example of that personalized yeah. Uh, insurance? Yeah, so we've got some um, some very large insurance company partners that we've been talking to about products like a really simple disability product, right? Or maybe catastrophic disability, which has never made sense to sell alone because it's it's so low premium. But when you're already underwriting somebody on all these other coverages, it makes sense to roll it into the package, right? Um, or pet health insurance or an annual travel policy, which um, is a little bit outside my realm of expertise. So I wouldn't want to build those products, but there are companies who we can partner with and resell them as part of our bundle, right? We know that millennials in particular are among the, the highest percentage of pet owners, and they're also, they travel more than, than prior generations do. Um, so those are products that make all the sense in the world, but have traditionally been tough to sell through the IA channel because they are so low average written premium, right? Right. Back to the insure tech question. Yeah. The there's a number of accelerators, yes. incubators that you guys have on your website. Yes. Is that because you guys are graduates of those accelerators? You've been through them? or Yeah. So talk, talk about them. Like we're from, we, we've had on Ali Savabi from Plug and Play who is yes. not there anymore. No, he's not. But he wrote us one of our first big checks. So we're big fans. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about your experience there. InsureTech, Hartford, I mean, some good names. Yeah, yeah. No, we've um, we've actually been really lucky to be part of several different accelerators. So we were part of the Mass Challenge FinTech cohort and won one of the awards there this summer. We were part of the plug-and-play InsureTech batch last, I guess it was the winter batch. 
We're part of the Digital Credit Union FinTech Accelerator here in Boston, and we're actually now over at the Harvard Innovation Lab, um, Launch Lab X, which is their alumni accelerator. Um, and here's what I would say. There are two things about it. That's a lot of accelerators on the one hand. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, it takes two years to get to market if you're an MGA. <laughs> That's just the reality of it. And so there's a longer period of time than there might be where you're pre-product. Um, then there might be for, you know, the kind of startup where you can put an app in the app store in 30 days and test it. Right. Yeah. So some of it, some of it is that these accelerators, because most of them have been focused on insure tech or fintech, they're where we found kind of our people, right? The people who understand what we're doing and who are willing to support it. And from them, we've walked away with some really great relationships, either investors or corporate partners who are willing to give us product or give us time or who want to do some paid pilots um, so that we can look at chunks of the market together. So that's really what we got from them. We really valued those experiences, both in terms of what those accelerators provided, but also in terms of the our peers, right? Like there aren't that many InsurTech startups and there aren't that many in Boston, which is where we're based. And so to have a, a chance to sort of just network and and get to know these folks who are kind of fighting the same fight from a slightly different angle. Whenever I was studying before this uh, podcast, I read where you received your MBA from Harvard, which to me is such a big accomplishment. Uh, Whenever you received that, it looked like it was uh, ending in 2005. Did uh, you ever feel as though you were going to be a entrepreneur? Is that why you did it? Or did you do it just for general business knowledge? I had been a management consultant um, before that, and I actually thought that I wanted to be in a corporate role. And I actually did my internship between the two years of business school with Progressive, which was my first exposure to insurance. And that Progressive is an amazing company. I went and worked for them for three years after graduation as well. And I thought I would stay in the corporate world, you know, and and climb the ladder and and see what I could do to to kind of move and change. But, you know, again, if I look back, um, the second year of business school, you get to choose at HBS, you get to choose your classes. And half the classes I chose were about entrepreneurship. Okay. So maybe they're paying a little bit more attention, right? (laughs) Yeah. You know, I saw that your undergrad was from Harvard. Yes. And uh, what made you choose, was it, was it, Celtic. Celtic studies? Is <laughs> yes. is that right? And yes. that's not Boston Celtic. So what led you to that? And and what is that? That's a really good question. So so I went to college thinking I was gonna be a chemistry major and I'm like one I was like one course short of a chemistry major and just about halfway through I had this moment when I was in an organic chemistry lab and my experiment blew up, like literally blew up in front of me, glass everywhere. And the other eight People in the lab turned around and looked at me and went right back to their work. And I thought, these these are not the people that I want to spend my life with. I'm married to a research scientist now and he's wonderful. So again, you know, the writing maybe was on the wall. Um, I don't know. But yes, yeah, so I had always read a lot of Welsh history of all things. Somebody gave okay. me a book when I was a child and I was just very interested in the language and um, the literature and the history. And Harvard let you create your own degree. So there was a graduate department of Celtic languages and literatures and they accepted me as an undergraduate as a special concentrator. Um, you know, of course, my parents said, well, what what are you, what are you going to do with Welsh? <laughs> right? right. Yeah. Um, but I also had an internship. I worked 30 hours a week when I was in college for all four years at a small consulting firm in Cambridge. Um, when I graduated. Yeah. I, I went to a competitor consulting firm. So yeah, I'd, I'd like to pretend that it was the years of medieval Welsh that I studied that led me to where I am today. <laughs> Well, you know, it's it's funny that you bring this up because 
my wife and I were just the other night watching an episode of The Crown. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Did you hear about this? Yeah. I've not uh, heard about there, this. There's an episode where Prince Charles goes to Wales mm -hmm. to study how to speak Welsh. Okay. <laughs> Do, have you seen this? I have not, but that's amazing. It's maybe episode four. I don't know. Something like that. Anyways, you, you have to watch it because he learns... He, he, he becomes schooled in speaking Welsh and Welsh. delivers a, a very famous speech, I guess. Wow. Uh, when wow. He, when he became officially the Prince of Wales, he delivered the, his speech in Welsh. Wow. And it's a really big deal. So there you go. So you were just a trendsetter, that's all. Yeah, trendsetter. Well, following in his footsteps. Yeah, I was about to say, I don't know about trend. It wasn't, it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> and I don't know that there's a lot of other people in line to learn Welsh, but we'll... Uh, We'll have that on our on, on our new podcast, yes. which, which will be titled Speaking Welsh. FNO Welch. FNO Welch. There you go. Um, FNO Celtic. You might want to speak with the insurance for the day job, but I'll happily come back and talk to you about that one, too. Yeah, you, you, you might be our guest on every single episode. <laughs> yeah, so. I don't know anyone else. Okay, let's get back to InsureTech for a minute. Yeah. There's a couple more questions I wanted to ask you. I wanted to ask you about being a female founder. Yes. And we've had a few female founders on. And the reason we've had a few female founders on is because there's not a bazillion no. female founders. Yeah. And so you're in a, you're kind of in an, a, a small and elite group. Talk about that um, and, and why that is, why that matters. Yeah. So this, yeah, this is kind of a difficult topic, right? Because there are actually plenty of women starting businesses in the U.S., right? I mean, women start businesses at greater rates than, than men do, I believe, but um, we also get a very small percentage of venture capital funding, right? And you need, typically you need the venture capital funding or something like it um, to reach the scale that that, you know, three scale, let's just say. Um, I think the latest numbers said that 2% of venture capital last year went to um, businesses with all female founding teams and 16% went to mixed gender teams. That does not represent the incoming, <laughs> you know, the people starting businesses, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's a skewed game played with a rigged set of dice, basically. So yeah, so on the one hand, you know, I, I hope that I hope that I can set an example for my daughter, right? I have a six-year-old daughter and I made a career change midlife to do something new and risky. And I hope that she sees in that, that she can do that too. That's awesome. I love yeah. that. Yeah. And you know, this insurance is an industry. Let's talk now specifically about InsurTech. There are very few InsurTech female founders. I think we all know each other. <laughs> um, it's a great group of women. Um, but you know, insurance is an industry where 60% of the employees are female. Interesting. Yeah. Is it really? 60%? Yeah. No, no, that's not not reflective of senior management, right? No, not in the executive ranks. Right. No, it's not, right? Um, and if you look at consumers who buys personal lines insurance, it, it also skews female, right? Because women make a lot of the purchasing decisions for families. And so so the fact that women are so underrepresented among both the senior executive ranks where I was before um, and also among insure tech founders is sort of heartbreaking, right? But on the other hand, you kind of have, somebody has to do it for it to seem normal and seem like something that you can do. And so I hope I can kind of be that person a little bit and, and a little bit of a nudge to folks who are maybe on the bubble. 
Um, but it's also hard, right? Like, let's be frank, we've walked into a whole bunch of venture capital funds, one after another, after another, where everybody in the room is male. Yeah. Um, everybody on the floor is male. Right. You know, it doesn't happen incredibly frequently, but some percentages of the time people talk to me like I'm stupid, right? And it is a gendered thing. Um, and it's wrong, right? It's as wrong as racism or anything else. But I don't really have I don't really have the the solutions for that except to build the very best company I can with Jay um, and to be as successful as we possibly can to try to find female investors so that if we make a lot of money, we're enriching them as well. And then we can all turn around and fund the next generation of female entrepreneurs. That's, that's the only solution I see. Good, good. I like that a lot. I did the same thing in the middle of my career. I changed from one industry to another yeah. and um, on an entre- entrepreneurial level. Yeah. And I think that it, I think it was a great benefit to my children, actually. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't usually think about it in those terms, but I think it showed them a lot of a lot of positive attributes. Yeah. And and, and that their father's crazy, too. I mean, all, yeah, that's true. Of which, of which they would call in right now and agree to. But um, so I, I have one last question that I want to ask you, and that is you guys have done all the groundwork. Yep. Congratulations on your reinsurance commitment. Thanks. You're eligible in several states, I assume. You're you're rip raring to go. You're just a few months away. Mm-hmm. Yep. At this point in time, what makes you nervous? <laughs> Everything. I thought that was what being an entrepreneur was about. No. <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm, <laughs> I didn't ask what do, what what keeps you from sleeping. Oh, that's a good question. I see. No, I mean it's a few things, right? I don't I don't worry about product or pricing. Um, you know, I don't worry about our ability to to do the legal steps we need to do or any of that, because all of that is stuff that you can tweak and change on the fly, right? Um, I worry about a couple of things. I, I worry about um, our ability to sell this product really, really well, right? That we've really, really understood the market and that we've really understood our distribution partners and listened to them and put something into their hands that they can both sell and buy respectively. And you don't really know that, unfortunately, until you actually get to market, right? This isn't this isn't an industry where you can make 10 prototypes and sell them on a cart at the mall, right? Right. So I think that's, that's one piece. And then I also just worry generally about the economic headwinds, right? We've been talking about recession for, I don't know how long, 18 months at this point mm-hmm. um you know we've we've got about a, a million and a half in capital on board um which will get us to and beyond launch right but it could be that we're hitting the moment where we most need to scale right when um capital dries up and that kind of terrifies me as well and there's little little we can do about that right, right. Uh, you know, taking on too much capital too early is, is not a good idea either for a variety of reasons. So I'm going to cross my fingers and, and hope that the economy holds out for a bit. Well, you know, great businesses are built in tough times as, as long as you can keep the lights on. Yeah, that is absolutely true. We love your honesty on that one. Yeah. I mean, that is wonderful stuff right there. Yeah, good. The, the good news is 2020 is going to be a good year. You heard it here first. Yeah. On the FNO and SureTech podcast. That's right. 2020 is a good year. Recognize leaders in economic prediction. Mm-hmm. that. <laughs> uh-huh. And Celtic studies. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Okay. We very much appreciate you being on today. 
uh, teaching us all about your up and coming launch and uh, telling us about your past and all the uh, exciting things that, that, that we have to look forward to. Thanks for inviting me. If somebody wants to, to find you or, or follow up on this, how, how do they do that? Yep. Um, they can email me, kate at surroundins.com or our website, which is www.surroundins.com. Happy to hear from people also on LinkedIn and easy to find there. So yeah, re- reach out if I can be of help. Well, um, hopefully our paths will cross at a conference. I'm sure, I mean, we were at InsureTech. We just missed you among the 7,000 people that were there. It was a crazy experience, yes. It's a crazy experience. But uh, but if, if, if not before, then next year in Las Vegas. <laughs> it's amazing the number of people in this industry who say things like that. But yes, absolutely. Well, we appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thanks to both of you. Take care. Uh, Lee, I have two words for you. Do tell me. Celtic studies. <laughs> Celtic studies. I didn't know. I, I, I had heard her talk about that on a video I watched and was really interested in how in the world she went from that to this. Well, uh, whatever it is, I, 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 we were talking just before we record this, this part of the program, and I'm mm-hmm. saying how really impressive and well-spoken yeah. um, Kate is. And I, I love the idea. Yeah, I, I, I never thought I about it. A, I think it's an idea whose time has come. I mean, essentially, it's a transition between when your parents say, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not going to pay for this anymore. Yeah, move right? on. And when you become, a, you know, a full-fledged, settled-down person, um, and that's an enormous group of people. Well, I, I thought when she was talking about the impact on the insurance agents, the independent agents, how they need a product. And she goes, Oh, wait, you, you have a need. Right. I can solve that problem, right? That's I can right. fill that need. Uh, right. And then they said, it's so important that, you know, eventually we're going to write these people's car insurance and their home insurance. We just need to hang on to them a little longer. Right. That's a big deal. That's yeah. a that's a futuristic product that she's going to market with. Right, and that's it. And and that gets back to one of the themes that we've you know talked about time and time again, and that's the solution of problems. Mm-hmm. This solves a problem. You have all these uh, young adults yeah. who are aging out of their parents' economic umbrella, and they need they need a place to land. And you have all these agents out there who know these people right they're 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 the children of of their customers and uh, so i i i have to believe that this is a, a successful formula I, i'm very excited for it i think i think that they're building a great uh feedback loop uh so that they're able to get feedback not only from the the insurance you know the insurance but also the independent agents they're going to be able to get quick changes made to their product that that changes and goes along with it i think they're doing it all right i mean she is a well-educated person and the technology of um using apis uh to to pull data from their usage of various and sundry products or services. Right. Yeah. Second party, third party applications. Brilliant, right? Brilliant. They, they discover that Joe Smith is somebody who rides a bike. Yeah. Uh, every single day he rents a bike. Yeah. And he needs a customized policy that addresses, the, you know, his, his risk. And, and we talked briefly about it, but I would imagine their roadmap has, uh, where do they drop that bike off? 
where do they go to work each day? What road do they drive down? They're not necessarily going to use IoT at this time, but with that open source data, they're going to be able to ultimately figure out what does this life look like? Sure. Uh, a, a big, a big uh, area for them where they're going to be able to continually grow this market. It's not tapped out. They're not coming to a tapped out market. They're coming uh, really with, with, with guns flaring. Yeah. Um, uh, a, a terrific episode, and we're so grateful to Kate Terry for giving us the time and all the information. Very honest and open. Yeah, uh, loved her candor that she brought to the episode today. And what about all of, all of her uh, experience in actual insurance? Right, she's not just a technology person who says, "I think there's a need in insurance." She said, "I'm an insurance person who there's a need. Let me use my specialty." Yeah. And, and let me just say this for those uh, insure tech people who listen to our podcast, who maybe are technologists, yeah, and not insurance people. The, Kay Terry was a senior executive at Liberty Mutual. She was a very, very, she was a big person working in the large insurance corporate world. Right. And um, uh, probably could have stayed there and done very, very well for the balance of her career. Absolutely. So she, she, not a lot of people know as much no. <laughs> about product as she does. Very impressive. Yeah, I think that's somebody. If you if you are starting a company and you are going into the intro tech market, you need somebody like that on your team. Uh, somebody who can bring the expertise from the actual world of insurance. Right. Uh, you, you you can't get that just from a consultant. You have to have you have to have that on your team. Well, listen, we thank you uh, for being with us today, Kate Terry, and look forward to hearing so much more about Surround as time goes on. And as always, we thank you for joining us, and we appreciate your participation by listening. And you can uh, email us off of our website, fnoinsuretech.com. Send us any thoughts or opinions, good or bad. We'd love to hear them. And um, that's it for today. And we'll sign off by saying goodbye, everybody.